Hello and welcome to the Rational National Podcast for April 18th, 2019. I'm your host, David Dole, and uh, coming up on today's episode, I'll be playing the uh, interview that I did with Jordan Sheridan, discussing his upcoming documentary, Flushing Flint. Jordan's done a lot of uh, reporting uh, in, well, journalism in general in, uh, in Flint and around the water crisis there, so it was a great interview. I hope you uh, learn a lot from that. But before I get uh, to that segment, I got to talk about a couple things. So <laughs> this is what's on my mind right now. Number one, I have a, I'm having trouble naming these episodes because in these intros, I often discuss something that is unrelated to whatever the segment is. And I, I'm trying to figure out how to include all of this information in the title. So it's uh, <laughs> this seems like a really petty topic, but it's something I'm honestly struggling with because I want to talk about right now some Canadian content because I've sort of been lacking in my Canadian content uh, more recently. And uh, I will include that in the title somewhere. I want people to know that I'll be talking about this. So anyways, yeah, I'll figure out the naming episode thing on my own, but uh, it is a problem because, you know, you want people to know what's going to be in, in the podcast. But, okay, Canada. I have been, uh, since leaving the radio show, which was almost focused exclusively on, on Canadian content or Canadian politics, I've uh, fell off a bit on my Canadian content. And I think I have a, a good excuse. <laughs> I think I know exactly why. It's depressing. Canadian politics right now is incredibly depressing. Right now, we have conservative governments in all of central Canada, from Alberta to Quebec, all conservative. And we're also on the road to a potential conservative government nationally come the election this fall. And the reason I cover, or I should say, the reason I, I started to cover uh, politics. I mean, the, the reason I launched my YouTube channel to begin with in in very late 2015, early 2016, was uh, because of Bernie Sanders, because of this inspiring figure that was going all over the U.S. discussing politics and and policy that would be a radical shift to something much much better than what Americans currently have, and I found that very inspiring and. That prompted me, I mean, in addition, of course, to my experience being a, a Green Party candidate and my longtime interest in, in politics, but ha having an, an inspiring figure like that prompts me to do videos and produce content, and I mean, it, it excites me. I don't, I know that there are, you know, I think this is what separates real journalists from people like me. <laughs> because real journalists chase after those deep, dark stories. The stories like Flint. I mean, in the in interview with uh, Jordan, you'll hear him talk about how this is like the perfect story for journalists. I mean, it has corruption. It has uh, a, a crisis that affects, you know, real people on the ground. And uh, he's right. It It is a story that should be getting a lot more attention. But it's not something that I'm generally into. Because... That doesn't motivate me. I'm motivated by inspiring figures, inspiring messages, trying to lift people up 
and really uh, let people know that things can be better. And in some ways, we are moving towards a, a better place. And I think it's important to communicate that because people like me, I mean, if you're like me, the news brings you down and it, it makes you sort of, I don't know, it, it, it makes you feel helpless in many ways. And that's how I feel when I, you know, read stories like Flint or see how the UCP won Alberta. I mean, this is Jason Kenney and his party are just completely deplorable. And I don't know how to discuss that while also giving some silver lining. I mean, the silver lining is that in four years, he will likely have completely destroyed the province. And uh, same with Doug Ford in Ontario. And the silver lining, I guess, is that maybe in four years, there'll be uh, a much more robust uh, progressive movement to be able to defeat these conservative governments. But in four years, I'm going to be really old. <laughs> I'm going to be almost 40. And I don't want to think about that. So to me, it's just, I don't, I don't know what to report on in these sorts of stories, like uh, the UCP winning in, in Alberta, except to say that, yeah, they won. It sucks. Here's why it sucks. And now go about the rest of your day. <laughs> because that's the kind of stuff you can read in, in the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail or McLean's. I just don't know what I have to offer to that conversation. It's just totally depressing. And maybe in some ways that that's what people need to hear. Maybe I should cover it and just be honest and say, look, I hate this story. I hate everything about it. I do not want to talk about it. But I'm talking about it to acknowledge that if you feel down about this, uh, what's happening right now in Canada, yeah, I get it. I feel down too. It sucks. And maybe for some people that's a motivating factor to begin to try and actually build some sort of real progressive movement in Canada because we don't have one. I mean, this is the the other problem with Canada. We don't have a Bernie Sanders. We don't have an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We don't have a Rashida Tlaib. We don't have an Ilhan Omar. Now, look, there are politicians here and there that are that have inspiring moments. Nikki Ashton is good. Jagmeet Singh has his moments. Elizabeth May is great. But by and large, there isn't this ongoing real drumbeats against what is happening right now. And it's, I mean, it's a combination of, of factors, right? You have the issue with the media, but also the issue with how our politics is set up. Because Canada, uh, because we have parliamentary politics, our system works a little differently. Our media works a little differently. MPs are, I mean, they're told to fall in line with, with the overall party message. So there's less of, a, of an opportunity for these sorts of insurgent, uh, insurgent figures like a Bernie Sanders or an AOC. So I, I think it's, I mean, that's part of the problem. Unless you have a leader that is a Bernie Sanders or an AOC of one of these parties, which I don't think we do. Elizabeth May, I think, comes the closest, but uh, even though the Green Party appears to be gaining in uh, 
in some provinces. The potential of them, you know, nationally is, I mean, maybe they'll pick up a seat, another seat, two more seats, but that's not really going to do much. So is this what progressives have to look forward to over the next year or two? I mean, this is the problem. Uh, I'm really trying to find ways to cover Canadian politics without freaking out every time I do it. I mean, if you go and watch my videos on Trudeau or on Doug Ford, I'm basically pulling my hair out in these videos because these are... It, this is... It's, it's sort of a... This makes me understand a little bit more why I'm so focused on American politics and not Canadian politics. Because when I discuss American politics, I feel like I can discuss it with a clear head. I don't live there. I can analyze these things as an outsider, analyze the, the politics, analyze these policies. I can uh, inject some of my experience in issues such as, you know, uh, healthcare, uh, bring in my perspective as a Canadian to that conversation and inform Americans about that. But when it comes to Canadian politics, this stuff directly affects me. And it definitely impacts my ability to cover it uh, without emotion. Not that people, I mean, not that people watch commentary to to just see the facts. I, I know people definitely want to see, you know, uh, us to be engaged in in these policies or in, in this in these stories. And I am. And you see me get angry about, uh, or um, uh, yeah angry about certain stories in, in in America as well. Like anytime I talk about Howard Schultz, I freak the F out because Howard Schultz is just the perfect example of how uh, we do not live in a meritocracy. And when I say we, I just mean, you know, Canada, US, these neoliberal nations, we do not live in a meritocracy. But when we get to actual politics, like Jason Kenney, Doug Ford, Trudeau, Andrew Scheer. I'm going to have a visceral reaction to these people, to the crap that they spread, to what they've normalized. So I need to be in a place where I'm almost happy. <laughs> like I need to be happy. I need to be in a very great mood to cover some of these terrible Canadian stories. So if you're wondering why I haven't been covering, you know, Canadian politics as much, that's the reason. It's just, it's, it affects me. And I'm still trying to figure out the best way to cover this stuff without getting too uh, emotionally invested and, you know, ruining my day because of it. So it, it, it's finding the right balance between my ability to cover a story and understanding that that's also my job. I mean, I have to be able to put my, uh, my feelings aside, uh, in terms of not feelings, but my emotions aside and be able to cover a story without letting it take me down. But that's something that I'm still learning. All right, coming up my, uh, interview with, uh, Jordan Sheridan, uh, about his documentary, Flushing Flint. Hey everyone, we have a great interview for you today. I am uh, joined now by Jordan Sheridan of Status Coup. 
which uh, on April 23rd is premiering their first full-length documentary, Flushing Flint. Jordan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, I think most people first uh, saw you in your reporting with uh, the Young Turks. A lot of your reporting was around Flint. Uh, do you want to discuss this film and how your reporting plays into it? Yeah, so uh, when I was at the Young Turks, I reported in Flint quite extensively. And uh, going back so many times, you kind of build up sources. So last spring, summer, I was being told by some folks uh, on the ground that I know there that the state of Michigan, during the water testing, uh, checking for lead and copper, uh, had actually tested the wrong way. So, you know, I kind of just began by just knocking on a few doors, seeing if I could find examples uh, of homes that had officials come in, if their water was tested, and whether it was tested the right way. And it was really mind-boggling. I mean, corruption does not really surprise me. There's a lot of it, but I was even stunned the more homes, uh, the more doors I knocked on, we started finding out that state officials had gone in and actually ran the water uh, on as many as 35 homes, we found, uh, before testing, which might sound kind of so what, but it's actually against the EPA's main drinking water regulation, which says you have to basically, the water can't be used for at least six hours, and then you have to take the sample right away after turning the tap on, because if you flush the water, even for like 30 seconds to a minute, you're basically flushing away the evidence. So mm -hmm. essentially the same environmental agency that caused the water crisis in the first place, uh, they were essentially kind of cooking the data. So that the documentary will show not only our like door knocking, I mean, it's not pretty. Uh, I was sweating in, over the summer along with my partner, Jen, uh, knocking on these doors. But you'll also see the human toll and, and you know, the personal stories yeah. of babies we met that had white blisters all over their their legs and arms from bathing in this water not five years ago like last year still actively yeah so that's what the documentary shows so talk a little bit more about your experience with the residents there so you talked to a lot of people uh on the ground uh how has their experience been and what are the kinds of things that they're suffering from yeah, I always call it kind of like if you ever watch the show Lost, uh, a lot of the residents there kind of feel like they're on a deserted island just screaming for a helicopter. Um, you know, the Flint water crisis, if you remember, it got media attention for like a week or two. But with the, you know, golden, el golden escalator uh, of Trump and then Russia, I mean, these people have been forgotten. So yeah. uh, the people there, honestly... Next week is five years since this water was switched, and they're just beaten down, I mean, emotionally, physically, and more concerning is just the grotesque levels of illness there. I mean, you have residents still, even though the governor last year, based on this, the ex-governor now, declared the water safe based on this data that we yeah. found, uh, you have residents still getting rashes from the water. You have residents still losing hair from the water. I have speaking with uh, residents that have nosebleeds from the water. Uh, residents that I interviewed that you will see in this documentary now have cancers. You have residents, right. I mean, children that I've spoken with that are literally, they used to know the whole alphabet. Now they're stuck after F. Same thing with counting numbers. So there's the immediate issues of rashes, hair loss, these kinds of things. And then there's the cumulative illnesses that lead doesn't just affect you right then and there. The effects and the uh, cognitive delays, behavioral problems, those kinds of things 
increase over the years. So mm -hmm. it's really it, it's you want to talk about a national emergency. This is a national emergency. And um, unfortunately, because of the last Republican governor, because of, in my view, spineless Republicans and Democrats, frankly, nationally, uh, people have been left to fend for themselves. And I'm sure, you know, think of a nice neighborhood in Canada or where I live in New York City, the National Guard would have been in probably in mm -hmm. a week and this would have yeah. been fixed. So it, it, it's really, I think you'll see in the documentary that this is still very much a crisis. It never stopped being a crisis, but the media unfortunately stopped covering it. So what has the reaction been from Trump's EPA? Because you discussed how the water levels were taken. Has there been any reaction uh, to uh, your reporting on this so far? Yeah, so twofold. Number one, um, it's kind of, I, I want to make a point about the media. Yeah. A lot of media outlets would not cover this and wouldn't even go with the story because it wasn't connected to Trump. This actually started under President Obama. So mm -hmm. the manipulation of the testing started in 2016 when President Obama was still president. Granted, I mean, it was the state of Michigan's environmental agency doing it. So I can't mm -hmm. blame Obama for this data being manipulated. But um, Trump's EPA today, uh, in efforts to get them to do, do you stand by the state of Michigan's testing that we found was manipulated, uh, they're basically kind of covering their eyes and looking the other way, uh, which is not a surprise. Uh, the EPA over the years, both under Obama and Trump, has essentially swept it under the rug. And the comments I'm getting from Trump's EPA now are the state of Michigan, the state, uh, the city of Flint's water testing ha is meeting regulations based on the state of Michigan environmental agencies testing. Hopefully now that uh, the governor actually just publicly confirmed our reporting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sending this stuff out like a madman, but I got to tell you, uh, Dave, it, it's like it's almost like you got to prove that Putin's involved to get the media to, ca to care. It's really yeah. that difficult. Uh, and it's it's really beyond Flint. It's, it's just about what kind of country do you want to live in? If exactly if man made decisions have poisoned residents, wealthy residents or poor residents, should we leave them to die? Because that's really what's been done. Uh, the door yeah. knocking we did really remarkable. Pretty much every block, you start hearing from residents. Oh, do you know if you know if that person still lives there because they didn't answer the door? Oh, that person just died. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about like older people. I'm talking about people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. So it's a real, real uh, disaster, not only of government but of media. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about the media failure on this because this was this was actually a story that. Rachel Maddow, at the beginning of it, did discuss uh, a lot in, in terms of Flint, but she was sort of taken over by the whole Russiagate narrative and even the media as a whole. I mean, you're an independent journalist. You were down there on the ground. You don't have the resources that these networks do. Why has uh, why have MSNBC, uh, CNN and all these other mainstream outlets, why have they failed in terms of reporting uh, on what's happening in Flint? They got five hours. <laughs> um, so, you know, I used to work at MSNBC and I used to work at Fox News for a dark period of my life. So I, I know a little bit about corporate outlets. And the bottom line is when you have the majority of the media, it, it's like the lack of diversity in government. It's not just lack of diversity as far as race or gender. It's, it's lack of diversity based on economic status. So when you have, mm -hmm. generally speaking, corporate outlets, whether it's Rachel Maddow, The New York Times, living in a living in a living in a coastal bubble 
far removed from the struggling people of Flint, um, by human nature, they just don't care as much. And when you have somebody like Trump coming down an escalator, your ratings are going up, your clicks are going up if you're the Times. I mean, even, frankly, independent outlets. I fought with the Young Turks sometimes when I was there about sending me to Flint more and, and covering it on the main show more. You're just kind of removed from what's going on there. And in terms of this story, actually, full disclosure, was supposed to be published by Newsweek magazine. Uh, they killed it the day before. And they said it to me. They actually said, as in politics, when you're explaining, you're losing, meaning it was too hard to explain. Well, all I could tell you is um, the Solicitor General of Michigan in the Attorney General's office understands because she met with me in February about this. And we've, yeah. been in, and we've been in communication since. So bottom line, I think the media, it's a mix of, I think because Trump is so viscerally horrendous, Obviously, his policies are awful, too. But because corporate media has essentially become just a food fight and a narrative and sensationalism, actual scandal. I mean, this is a scandal. They cook the test. They cook the dump. They cook the numbers. Yeah. Uh, isn't treated as such. And I just want to make clear because I get a lot of comments like it's not just Flint. I mean, yes, we found this in Flint. But they're doing this kind of stuff in other uh, other cities. Water contamination is spreading. I mean, you have Detroit, Milwaukee, Cleveland just found uh, 90 children in a month had high lead levels. Uh, right. Even Canada has had water problems. Yeah. So um, this is a national crisis. And unfortunately, both on the state level media as well as the national level, they just don't find it. There's very little economic uh, incentive for investigative reporting. And that's why uh, that's why I. We started status quo. So uh, you mentioned how the Michigan, uh, the Michigan governor has now confirmed your reporting. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so last night, uh, actually last night, uh, she was on a panel uh, with Flint residents, kind of like she's new. She, she just became governor in January and she's trying to re regain the trust because obviously the last governor kind of destroyed that. So uh, she was on a panel and a professor, uh, Laura Sullivan, uh, who's a professor at Kettering University in Flint, asked her about the water testing uh, because Laura Sullivan uh, and many others in the know were aware that th the environmental agency was running the water first. And the governor actually said, uh, confirming, she said, yes, there's definitely been reports that they were running the water uh, for a long time when they shouldn't have been. So this was the first time that the governor has publicly said anything. And I'm going to keep it real. I mean, it's been difficult to get the mayor to come out and publicly say anything. It's been difficult yeah. to get the congressman that represents Flint to come out and say anything. It's even been difficult to get progressives who you and I cover all the time mm -hmm. to come out and say anything. Yeah. I don't know the reason, but um, yeah, the governor has confirmed it. And again, I met with the solicitor general in February about this in person. I can't really go further than that, but it is being looked at. And um, really... The governor co commenting on it publicly indicates to me she has looked into the agency and looked into uh, what we found because she was quoted in our original story, uh, which people could find on Medium. So, yeah, the governor had confirmed that they were running the water. And just think of it this way to, to make it less scientific. Essentially, officials were, st were standing there flushing away the evidence as, like, in many cases, single mothers were standing there with their kids just excited that officials were doing something. Uh, it, it's really scandalous. Aaron Brockovich actually is quoted in the story as just calling it 
a crime <laughs> and cheating. Yeah. And um, I think the most important thing that I want people to get out of this documentary and the story is if the testing was manipulated, how do we know what the current lead levels are in Flint? You know, there's been a lot of stories yeah. declaring the water as now back to normal based on what the state was reporting. But I could tell you, I mean, I can't declare yes, it's safe or yes, it's no. But I can tell you, based on what we found, that the numbers were cooked. <laughs> and uh, that's scary because children might still potentially be drinking lead. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Aaron Brockovich there. Uh Name some of the other politicians or um, or activist celebrities that have recognized your reporting on this. Yeah, uh, some of the first were Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she called for an investigation, as did Congressman Rokana. Um, I mean, I'm going to keep it real. I've spoken with Alexandria, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's communications director about this. For whatever reason, she hasn't publicly said anything. Uh, same thing with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who represents Detroit, which is right near Flint. Um, I have reached out to Chairman Cummings many times, not directly, but his people. Uh, his person actually got back to me. I couldn't believe he said this, but like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do some social media on this when the time is right. Oh my God. So I wrote, it's unbelievable. when would that time be, when they're dead? Um, yeah. Celebrities, Susan Sarandon has spoken out about this. Alyssa Milano has spoken about, uh, out about this. Um, there's been a lot of other, you know, like kind of influencers on Twitter that have spoken out about this. Uh, but as far as politicians, there's just been Ro Khanna, Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, in fairness, sometimes you reach out to a politician's like communications person and they don't bring it to the politicians. So yeah. I don't know if uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is aware of this. But at the time, I told her communications director, listen, like. When she breathes, it becomes national news. So yeah. if she could even tweet about this, it would be a major thing because at the end of the day, um, I, we cannot depend on corporate media to uh, to do reporting on the people of Flint or any other uh, vulnerable group. I mean, if I, again, if I could prove that Putin did this, they'll cover it. But unfortunately, you know, if it's just a old school journalism that knocks on doors and finds this. They don't seem to care. So it's definitely helpful when people like you and independent media cover this. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to get Democracy Now! and a few others uh, to cover this because it is five years. But I think the problem is sometimes, for example, uh, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner last year, you had Michelle Wolf, the comedian, do a little like mic chop and Flint still doesn't have clean water. Yeah. And for like an hour, all of a sudden you have these Twitter warriors that suddenly care about Flint and are tweeting what a national disgrace is. But the next day they're back to Trump and Russia. Yeah. Listen, I think Trump should be covered. Uh, I don't cover him as much because like, what do I have to offer that 25,000 <laughs> other people are not saying? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but at the end of the day, forget Flint for a second. This is not just about Flint. At the end of the day, Water is the most important thing you could have. I mean, mm -hmm. if you don't have water for several days, you're going to get sick and eventually die. If you drink contaminated water, you might not die right away, but it's really going to screw your health. So if people if the news isn't treating this as a very important story, you have to wonder whether the news is still the news, because if they don't treat water and the safety of our water as a major public health crisis in Flint and other places, then I think people are in trouble because if you, I mean, at the end of the day, actual like journalism is shining a light and giving a voice to the voiceless. 
And I could tell you, and people will see in this documentary, um, the, these people are voiceless and they have not had media to, to cover this because not only did we find that they were cheating on the testing, but I mean, we found that they were actually throwing out certain tests that were high to, okay. to get the number down. Uh, yeah. We even found that they were putting homes on the official state testing program that had full filtration systems. You're supposed to be testing without filters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they had state-of-the-art. I mean, it was just like gross corruption. And as I always tell my viewers, the beauty of investigative reporting in this country, most corrupt individuals and agencies are very sloppy because they don't expect anyone to look. Yeah. So. It's hard. I mean, I would have rather been at the beach last summer than like, you know, knocking on 450 doors with my partner, mm -hmm. by the way. Jen Dyes broke this with me. But I do it again because really it takes knocking on doors, speaking not with like think tanks and experts, but like people. I mean, when I, I was stunned when I would just ask residents very simply like, oh, do you remember if they took the sample right away or let it run for a little bit? I mean, they were like, oh, yeah, they, run it. they let it run. I'm like, how long? I don't know, like five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just like out the open yeah. corruption. So, yeah. um, yeah. And it shows you too, sort of a, a window into potentially other, uh, issues in, in the way that the EPA or other agencies are testing uh, certain things. Like this is just a, a, really a small sample of what's happening in Flint could be happening all around the country in not just about water, but about anything else. I mean, it shows you how sloppy the government is and how important it is to have reporters like you that are on the ground, putting a light on this kind of thing. Yeah, there's been reporting. Uh, the Guardian did good stuff. Even NBC did a story a few years ago where water utilities are just gaming the system because it's within their best interest to have lower numbers. So they fall with, under the EPA's action level, because if they yeah. go over the EPA's action level, then there's going to be you, you're going to have to throw money at the problem. And by the way, I mean, something that has not been uh, told. So Flint's water issue that the there's been money that's gone to changing service lines so the service line is just the line from your curb into the house but a lot of people's interior home plumbing <laughs> was busted from the flint river and that toxic water that yeah. those aren't getting changed so like mm -hmm. you know it's easter like jesus can bless the water from the curb to the house but if your home <laughs> pipes are busted uh you're still possibly having lead leach out so part mm -hmm. of the problem dave is like when a story's not sexy, like it ain't sexy talking about service lines into the house, right? Yeah. It's not sexy talking about water testing. It's not as sexy as like the new Cold War that Rachel Maddow has been putting out there. But yeah. at the end of the day, what is a bigger threat to democracy? Uh, Russian trolls on Facebook or people like being poisoned and then being left to die? And I will point out also, like, if you're a real journalist, uh, I'm not like patting myself on the back. This is the story of a lifetime. I mean, you got corruption, yeah. you got um, environmental racism, environmental justice, Republicans, Democrats. So uh, I, it's just shocking to me. I mean, on one end, it it, it gives us a, uh, it gives us a business because like we don't really have much competition. <laughs> like yeah. every every time yeah. I go to Flint and other places, I'm alarmed. Like when they have press conferences and other things, like there's no national media outlets there. So it yeah. gives us a real opening, uh, but at the same time. It's very sad, like the, the Cleveland example I was telling you about, we were there in uh, January, February, and there was a press conference that activists, local politicians held because 90 kids, mostly black, were found with high lead levels in 90 days, uh, in a month, excuse me. We were the only cameras there. Oh I mean, 
you would think in a normal media environment, like there would be cameras and newspaper reporters, like it's yeah. lead and children. Nobody. And ironically, that was the same day Trump declared his national, you know, absurdity emergency. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. It, it's not just Flint. And by the way, it's not just lead. One of the things that's been missed here is there's other contaminants that, that are being found in water, including something called uh, PFAS, which is cancer causing chemicals that are made in the manufacturing of Teflon. They found this in water bodies in Michigan, uh, in the Ohio River Valley, West Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, and frankly, a lot of people look to Canada for like healthcare and things like that. But there's there's corporate corruption in Canada, too. Uh, so as you know, so, um, yeah, there needs to be more eyes on this. And I hope people uh, check out the documentary. If you're if you're a status coup member, which you could become a member at uh, status slash join, uh, you'll get it free. And we're premiering it early for members on Saturday. Uh, but for everybody else, it'll be available on Tuesday at Flushing Flint. Com. Awesome. All right. I'll also end on a clip from your trailer as well. And uh, thanks again, Jordan, for uh, joining me. Thanks so much. When the water changed color to brown and orange, your administration said the water was safe. When people reported rashes, hair loss, odor, and even sewage, your administration said the water was safe. When Legionnaire's disease began to infect and later kill numerous citizens, your administration said the water was safe. journalist i'm just asking residents on this block if the state ever came to test your water they told me they needed to go to the kitchen sink that's where they went they turned the water on let it run for like i said like a minute and collected their sample your results are interesting because 15 parts per billion is the limit. Um, so them telling you to let the water run for that long, that's probably why you were getting such low results. When they did it, do you remember if they turned the water on and took the sample right away or did they let it run they first? They let it run a while. They showed up at my door and they handed me a pamphlet and said, okay, it's safe to bathe in before they even went in my house. Have you had any problems health-wise since the water switch? Itching, breaking down, stuff like that. My teeth, yeah, so. And I've had pneumonia. I skin and I hear. I've been getting a lot of boils. Go ahead, get it. Bro, I'm telling you. And I get them like, just, just, bro. And they were worse. My daughter did have a miscarriage. He was at Heritage Manor, went to McLaren, where they had the Legionnaires. My father is dead. They want us out of here. They want to make it a college town, and we are not a fool. We know it. Go up and down the street. Look, look over there. We have a forest in the Dadgum city. We can't drink our water. We can't go outside and play. We ain't got no parks. They're just going in, people who don't know EPA regulations, people that are older, people that are younger, people that are poor, whatever. And they're just right in front of them, cheating, to try and get a lower number. So who the hell knows what the real numbers are? You always hear that talking point, well, like 3,000 other cities have worse numbers than Flint. I think what we're getting at here is we probably don't know the real lead levels in Flint because they've been flushing out the lead before they test.